Welcome to the UIAAA Connection Podcast. Hometown Ticketing is proud to be the exclusive sponsor of the UIAAA Connection Podcast and to provide schools nationwide with the best options for digital ticketing for their events. Visit their website at hometownticketing.com to learn how they can make digital ticketing possible and simple at your school. Thank you to Hometown Ticketing for their exclusive sponsorship of the UIAAA Connection Podcast. Welcome back to the UIAAA Connection. Today marks our 101st episode. I'm your host, Mark Hutch Hunter. Today we have as our special guest, Jeff Kurtz from Ohio, the voice of the of the NIAAA Hall of Fame. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Thanks, Hutch. I appreciate it. Let's begin by having you share with our audience here in Utah and across the nation where you grew up, where you went to college, your first job, etc. Okay. Well, I'm a native Ohioan. I grew up in Northeast Ohio. Um, I still live in the small town of Brimfield, which was actually named after Brimfield, Massachusetts. Um, I've lived here since uh, we moved here when I was five, just about six years old. So I went through uh, elementary and high school uh, here at, at the field local schools. Um, then I went to uh, Kent State University where I majored in uh, radio and television broadcasting with a minor in journalism, uh, played baseball there for four years for the Golden Flashes, uh, and then went, uh, went on to grad school in public relations, and then later switched my major to athletic administration and got my master's degree uh, in athletic administration from Kent State. And then I worked at the university for uh, 17, little over 17 years uh, in a couple of different capacities. Um, I was a student graduate assistant and uh, in sports information department. And I worked in our conference bureau, which set up all the conferences and conventions that came to the university, uh, dealing with clients, both internal and external to the university. Um, and then my last three years there before I moved into athletic administration, I was the uh, assistant director of alumni relations uh, and liaison to our varsity letter winners alumni club and, and the athletic department. Let's talk for a moment <clears throat> about your athletic administration. And so you left Kent State. Where did you begin working? Did you stay at the same place? Were you AD at multiple schools? Um, yeah, it was kind of funny because actually, um, uh, I was playing in a golf outing and one of the, uh, one of the guys and his son who were in my foursome, um, he actually worked at a nearby high school in their guidance office. And we were golfing and he just happened to, uh, he was asking me what I was doing. I, I told him what my degrees were in. And he said, well, you know, we're, we're looking for a new athletic director. I said, oh, he said, you, you know, can you get me a resume? I said, sure. So I actually left after we were done golfing, I went home and printed out a copy of my resume and uh, brought it to him and he took it to the superintendent. Um, the school is just down the road from, from me, uh, Ravenna High School. And actually a lot of my relatives uh, went to school there. And he took, the, uh, took my resume in and the next day I got a call from the superintendent with an invitation to come in and uh, have a formal interview. And I did that and then interviewed again with other staff members the following day and was offered the job. And, and I uh, happily accepted my first uh, job as an athletic administrator at Ravenna High School in, in Ravenna, Ohio. And what then after that, that, uh, that was in uh, 2000. Okay. Um, yeah, so I started there in 2000. 
Um, and then after, uh, after I was at Ravenna, I moved on to Hudson High School. And then my last year, I was at Orange High School uh, and came back and, and was doing some assisting things at Hudson again. And so, yeah, kind of, kind of a full circle, full circle thing there. Let's have you share with our audience some of the mentors in your life that made a, a huge impact on you. Um, well, obviously, my parents um, were, were always very supportive um, and, you know, and my biggest cheerleaders. Um, I think all the way back to high school, probably uh, my high school speech teacher, um, Robert J. McDonald. I, I just I loved his class and he's really the one that kind of got me into um, enjoying public speaking. Uh, my high school journalism teacher, uh, Miss Chapel, was was a great mentor as well. I stayed in contact with her all the way through college. She had also gone to Kent State uh, and majored in journalism. Um, I, those two probably in high school stick out for me. Um, and then in college, I had I had several professors that I just I really really enjoyed their classes, um, and not just ones in in broadcasting. I, I had you know instructors in other uh, other areas my my basic black and white photography teacher is always uh, charlie brill a uh, well-known photographer was just his class was so good i i use that things he taught us every day still um and then into athletic administration um you know i would say uh several good good friends in athletics bill santos in, at uh, nearby Cuyahoga falls high school um ray ebersole who you know uh um, th those guys were probably Joe Eaton down at North Canton Hoover. Uh, those guys were probably um, some of my biggest mentors. Ed Sogan, who I worked for at Hudson, um, also a mentor. Uh, you know, and I just always had a great relationship with them and, and enjoyed learning from them. And they were always uh, extremely helpful to me as a, as a young and new athletic director. Let's go back to your time at Kent, Kent State. When did you begin? So when did you graduate from high school? Yeah, I graduated from high school in 1977. Uh, so I, I enrolled at Kent and started in the fall of 77. Um, walked onto the baseball team. Uh, was very fortunate to, uh, to earn a spot on the team and, uh, and ended up playing, um, you know, Division I college baseball for four years. Um, graduated with my bachelor's degree in telecommunications and journalism in 1981 and um, enrolled in grad school um, that that very next fall continued to work at the campus television station uh, as well as the, the newspaper and the yearbook um, and sports information and then I finished uh, I was I started working then at the following year started working at the university in 1983 um, as a full-time employee, so I finished my uh, my graduate degree, my master's degree, kind of one class at a time. You know, take a class over a lunch hour or take a class in the evenings, and finished my master's in athletic administration in 1989, and then worked for the university in 2000. Let's go back a little bit farther. Then I'm assuming you're maybe fifth, sixth, seventh grade when. Kent State became famous because obviously I was in high school and I'd never heard of Kent State, but I want to, I want you to talk about 
what it was like. You lived in that area. You still yep. live in that area. For someone like me, who was just in high, I was a high school kid and you hear about it on TV and you're thinking, oh, what's going on? But I, I want to hear from it from your perspective. I know you took me up there and we saw the campus. Yep. We saw the places was interesting, but I want to hear about as a, as a young man, very young man in your case, what it was like during that hectic time. Yeah. I mean, Kent, Kent is less than five miles from my house and we, you know, we were in Kent all the time, but um, yeah, very, certainly a very tragic day, uh, you know, May 4th, 1970. And, uh, you know, the, the, the protests against the Vietnam war were going on all over the country on college campuses in particular. And Kent state was no different. And, you know, up until that day had was really just one of hundreds of colleges that were having student protests. Um, so, you know, a lot of things, obviously, in hindsight, you know, kind of went sideways to lead up to the, the tragedy. But yeah, I mean, I was just, a, I was just a young kid, like fifth, fourth, fifth grade. And I, oh, all we knew was, after it happened, we, you know, we had a curfew, we had to be in the house at dark. And, uh, you know, I remember the, uh, I remember the National Guards, uh, the tanks and the the trucks, the troop trucks, rolling, you know, past our not right past our house, but at the end of our road. I, I lived on a side street off of of Route 43, which is turns into Water Street in downtown Kent. So I remember the standing out at the edge of the road in front of my parents' house, watching the the trucks and the tanks roll down Route 43 headed to Kent. But yeah, for us, I mean, we really didn't know. Uh, wasn't talked about a lot. I mean, we, we, we did not, obviously did not go anywhere near Kent for, you know, several weeks um, because of what was going on. So, but yeah, it, for us, it was like, okay, it's summertime and we've got to be in the house for something. We don't even know what's going on. So um, of course, years later, you know, going, attending Kent state um, and there were still, you know, when I enrolled in the fall of 77, um, you, you know, it seems like a hundred years ago now, but th you know, that was just seven years you know, removed from that day. And so there was still a lot of, um, you know, a lot of sensitivity to it. Uh, you know, there were still, they were building uh, the, the Memorial Gym Annex, which part of the, that construction area uh, encroached on part of the area where the students were. And there were protests all the time. I mean, I walked to class from the student center, um, you know, almost weekly there were you know, some group of people out there looking, looking for a little TV coverage and talking about why it shouldn't be built there. So yeah, that was going on even when I was a freshman and sophomore at Kent until that, that building got completed. So um, yeah, and then working at the university, obviously, uh, you, you know, you became more aware of it in your orientation classes. And then when I was working at the Alumni Association, of course, we were very involved with, um, you know, the memorials and, and all the things that we did uh, to commemorate that that day each spring on May 4th. Allow me a follow up if you will. <clears throat> you mentioned you were what fifth grade, maybe? I think, yeah. Well, because yeah, I was I 11. Remember, I was when I remember when I was in the fifth grade uh, was when Kennedy got shot, which mm -hmm. was the big thing of my generation. And I remember being at school and hear about it. You said something that you were on the side of the road and you saw the tanks and the troops coming down the road at that age. What what goes through your mind? I, you, you said, yes, why are we having to go back in our houses in the curfew? But my right. goodness, at that, at that age in, in suburban America, 
Yeah. I can't imagine what it felt like. So I, I'm asking you. Well, they're just, I mean, they're, the, the route 43 was, you know, less than 200 yards from my parents' house. We, I lived just east of that, grew up there, moved there, you know, when I was turning six and lived there until I moved out of the house. So um, yeah, it was, you know, across the street from my house was a 200 acre farm and, you know, the fields were planted with corn and corn was already coming up because it was May and, you know, the, here's, here comes, they wasn't tall enough to obscure the, the top of the little rise there on 43. So, you know, we had a pretty good view of, uh, you know, for, for an 11 year old, you know, seeing all those troop trucks and tanks was like, oh my gosh, this is really cool with that, without any cognizant knowledge of why they were there or what they were going to do when they got, you know, five miles up the road to campus. Wow. That's incredible. Let's shift gears now and talk about your journey with the OIAAA and then on to your journey with the NIAAA. Sure. Yeah. When I started uh, as the athletic director at Ravenna, um, I came in, I mean, school had actually already started. Um, I interviewed late in the summer and um, started my job early September. So uh, school was already going and um, the principal that I was working with was uh, coming out of the military. He was stationed at the Pentagon, so he wasn't even there yet. So things were a little crazy at the beginning of the school year, but I, I was so excited to be an athletic director. My, you know, my first opportunity to do that. Um, you know, and I was certainly wet behind the ears uh, and just looking forward to getting into to everything that was involved. And like I said, I had great mentors. Uh, my good friend, Bill Santos, I, I would call him regularly. Um, I had other athletic directors that I would just pick up the phone and say, hey, well, you know, when this comes up, this situation, what do you do? And um, uh, Bill and, uh, and his assistant, Bobby Brown from, uh, from Cago Falls, um, they were the first ones to really get me involved with the OIAAA. They said, hey, you know, you need to join the organization and we have, um, we have a, uh, a spring conference and a golf outing and we want you to come with us. And, and so that was my, really my first um, uh, foray into what's the NEO IAAA, the Northeast Ohio uh, IAAA. And then uh, from there, I, of course, joined the state organization. And it wasn't until I got to Hudson that I really, um, I really got involved with the national level. And that happened very, very quickly. Um, so that was only three years into my career. Um, and I, I was at a, uh, I think I was at our state event and they were, uh, they were talking about uh, a new book that had come out. It's called the voice above the crowd. And it was about public address announcing. And I just sat up because I'd been doing public address at Kent state for at that point in time for over 10 years. Um, oh gosh, almost no 20 years. I started in 1981 doing that. So when that came up and I'm like, Oh, this is something that's interesting. So I went up and approached the guy after the um, presentation and he actually gave me the copy of that book that he was using to show. And I contacted uh, Brad Rumble, who is the executive director of the, of NASPA, the national association of sports public address announcers. And I said, Hey, I'm interested in your organization. He said, well, can you send me a resume? So I did. He called me in within like 15 minutes of getting it. He says, Oh my gosh. He goes, your, your experience and background as a, as a PA announcer and now as an AD is perfect, a perfect fit for us. Um, I would like to ask you to join our board of directors. So we talked and um, 
just, you know, within months, I was driving to Indianapolis to present 625, which is the, the public address announcing course, to the national, the NIAAA board. I didn't know any of these people. Um, Frank Kovaleski, our executive director, you, you know, Frank, an ex-Marine, and he was very serious about, about what was going on. And Brad brought me in and introduced me, put me up in front of the room, and I taught a four-hour class to people that I'd never met before. It, without a whole lot of preparation and uh, apparently Frank came to Brad afterwards and said that he goes Jeff Kurtz he's our guy he, he needs to do this and I was like what does that mean well you're going to teach at the national you're going to do oh okay you're going to be the course chair so I it literally happened I mean I didn't even, even have time to to digest what was going on it was like okay you're rolling out the course with us you're answering some questions you're talking about your your background and oh by the way you're the national course chair you'll teach in new orleans and we're off and running and so now it's you know what is this going to be this will be my 20th i guess is that right the 20th um national i've, I've been to every national conference since 2004 um so yeah 19th i guess yeah so <laughs> That's fast incredible. and furious <laughs> well i can remember don't hold me to which conference it was, but I remember when you were on the cover of the professional development manual, if you um, remember back then. And I remember I took a lot coming, of grief for that. I remember coming into your class on a break between the courses and giving you the manual and asking, asking for an autograph. <laughs> and I, I, everybody in the class was looking at like, well, he must be famous. Well, I, I remember that too. And, and I got to tell you, so that was, I think that was my second year, second, maybe third year of teaching. I think it was second. So they took a picture like the very first year I taught in New Orleans. It could have been the third. But anyway, it was very early on in my tenure as a, as a faculty member, uh, uh, LTI faculty member. And so I was taking some pretty good natured ribbing from, you know, all, all of the veterans who were my mentors and now my friends that were like, you know, what the heck, how did you end up on the cover of the course manual? You know, you just got here. And, you know, my, my boss back at school, who'd been involved in the NIAAA for years, he's like, curtsy, seriously, like you show up to one conference and now you're like the poster boy for LTCs. I said, I honestly, God, I didn't, I don't know how it happened, but it happened. Yeah. So it, it, it was, uh, I, I really, I mean, I felt good. I, it felt like, uh, you know, when you, like when you did that and others did, it's like, you know, I felt that I was, that I had been accepted as a member of the faculty and, sure. um, you know, and I, and I was, I was one of the, you know, one of the gang then. So let's talk further for a moment about the OIAAA and mm. I'm interested in your perspective because uh, I have no idea what the OIAAA was like before Bruce came along and it was the executive yeah, director well, and then and of course after we know what's happened since yeah as you i mean as you know having been a the state the state executive director we um our organization in ohio was probably uh at the state level a little more loosely organized i mean we had a president but we didn't have uh we didn't have an executive director so that was, um, as Bruce got more involved, of course, I knew Bruce. Uh, Bruce was another one of my mentors because he was the athletic director at Uniontown Lake, which is about uh, five, six miles 
little more than that south of where I live. So I'm kind of like in in the middle of about the half, a little little less than a halfway point between where he was the AD and Kent State University. So um, Bruce was a guy that I would call because uh, I had run into him at events and thing, games and stuff. So, yeah, when I got the AD job at Ravenna, uh, I think our girls basketball team was playing, played in the uh, sectional tournament down at, at Lake. And um, so, yeah, Bruce, I knew Bruce uh, when he was just kind of getting started with the NEOI AAA. Um, you know, he helped, you know, he was our, I think he was the conference chair for a number of years and, um, you know, got, got more and more involved. And as, you know, as his star kind of continued to shine brighter, he got more involved with, um, he was always involved with the NFHS. He was a big, huge proponent of the coach's education program. That was kind of his thing. Um, you know, he was, he was famous within his own school for making his coaches crazy because he was always having meetings and, and, you know, uh, informational sessions. And he always used to like to tell us, you know, you're going to, you're going to get a nugget here today. You know, you're going to take away a nugget. So we, we all, that was kind of always our, our joke with him was like, Bruce, we getting any nuggets today. So, uh, but yeah, he was, uh, he was a great, a great guy, uh, enjoyed working with him. And then he kind of just, you know, uh, started up the ladder and again, was a big proponent of professional development. I think athletic directors, um, you know, in Ohio, where the OHSA is a it's a principals run organization. So all of the voting and things that take place, uh, even involving athletics, come from the principals of the schools. And a lot of schools, I mean, even when I started in 2000, a lot of schools did not have administrative athletic directors. And those that did, there wasn't always a lot of direction. In fact, there were jobs that I applied for uh, that I was told I wasn't allowed to be considered because I didn't have a principal certificate, hmm. um, which I, I mean, it, to me, I didn't, I didn't understand that because no, in my graduate program, nobody had ever talked about getting a principal certificate to be a secondary school athletic director. The focus was on being a college athletic director, being a, uh, you know, working in professional sports. Um, there wasn't a lot of talk about becoming a high school AD back then. So, and it seems weird because it wasn't that long ago, but that's, that's truly the way it was. So, you know, when I started getting that, I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, do I really want to go back to school again for, to get another certification? Um, and I didn't because I never, I didn't want to be a principal. I never aspired to be, I wanted to be an athletic director. So I felt like my degree in athletic administration was, um, qualified me to do that and then of course getting involved with the uh, OIAAA and the NIAAA just you know further cemented those professional standards but yeah Bruce was the guy that kind of got things rolling as far as um, spurring the discussion uh, about creating a position of executive director of the OIAAA and then obviously that you know we we were able to uh, to fund that position and Bruce of course uh, was our our very first executive director, um, and was in that role until he you know he he passed sadly passed away. But yeah, he was a great mentor, a, a good leader, enthusiastic. Um, and again, I think every AD in Ohio, uh, you know, owes Bruce a, a debt of gratitude for elevating the level of professional expectations in our field. Thanks, I appreciate that. <clears throat> Share with our audience. 
how many different levels of games that you have announced over the years. So that would be, I'm sure you've done a ton of high school games and I know about Kent state, but I know yeah. you've done the Browns. I know I can't say the Indians. What do they call? Well, them? yeah, I did. I, the, uh, them the Indians. I, I mean, I've done everything from like, I had a friend ask me to do, uh, do PA for a, a youth, a youth softball tournament game, uh, you know, introduce all the starting lineups and all that. And did, you know, from a, a portable microphone behind the backstop to, uh, you know, junior high events, uh, middle school events, high school, obviously a lot of high school stuff, um, which I still, I'm still doing high school stuff. Um, and then at Kent state got involved. Uh, I filled in for a friend of mine for a women's basketball tournament, uh, over the holidays. And he was actually a year ahead of me. So he graduated. Uh, and then the following year, the assistant athletic director approached me and she, she asked me if I would consider, assuming the responsibilities. And I said, yes. And that was in 1981. Um, and then of course I did because of that, I was asked to do other people were familiar with my work and, and I, you know, got approached to do other, other events and MC events and do, do other sports public address announcing. Um, I did a, I was the, uh, second announce backup announcer, if you will, uh, for a year for the Cleveland Indians, which was awesome for me because, you know, I love, I love baseball and which you, you obviously know, and, and, uh, you know, grew up watching the Indians. So to be asked to, to, uh, be the backup for the, for their regular guy, uh, season was 1989. Um, and it was, it was like a dream come true. Um, and then I've been doing the press box announcing for the Browns, the media announcing for the last 20 years, 20, I think this is 21 now. Um, yeah, so I have the opportunity. I did the. I just announced last weekend the uh, the HBCU game, historically black colleges and universities game, which is hosted at the Hall of Fame, uh, Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium in Canton, uh, because the HBCU Hall of Fame is housed there now. So I've done that uh, every year since it started, and that's a, that's a pretty cool event. And I work the Hall of Fame game because our Brown Stats crew uh, works that game. It's the first game of the NFL season, and so that's where we're testing out everything and getting everybody up to speed for the season. So, yeah, did that, and then uh, you know, here in a couple of weeks, did Browns preseason, and a couple of weeks here, we'll have our first home game of the season. And I'm still doing high school football. I do the uh, I announced for Hudson High School, which is where I was uh, athletic director at the middle school and assistant AD at the high school. I still coach, I'm the head softball coach there, but I've been doing Hudson football for probably the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years. And um, so, yeah, I still, still love that. Best seat in the house. The question that begs to be answered is, <laughs> have you had the golden voice since you were a kid? Did you develop it in middle school and high school? Was it in college when you had all those courses or did you always just have that deep, veritone, great I, I, Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, you know, thanks to God, I guess I, you know, I've never had a voice lesson. I've never, I can't sing. I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, but, um, I guess over, uh, you know, over the microphone, uh, my, my vocal patterns and, and my, my voice, um, works for what people need. And yeah, I've just been blessed with, with that. And, uh, yeah, I, I I've done I've I've done nothing. So that you know, I, I guess God God bears full responsibility for all that. I want to get into 
the NIAAA Hall of Fame, which has probably been around for 14, 15 years. Yeah, and think, you are uh, you this... are the you are the MC for the all the inductees. You were the MC when I got inducted, and everyone else has been inducted. Is it your association with the 625 or your just natural voice? Did Bruce Whitehead come to you and say, yeah. hey, what we want and get you the tuxedo. Explain how yeah. that happened. Yeah, Bruce, um, when when we first started the Hall of Fame, and I think this is year 13 or 14, I think you're right. Um, yeah. well, of course, we missed the, the, the COVID year, but um, yeah, Bruce approached me, called me one day and said, hey, we're going to be, uh, we're starting a, a, the NIAAA Hall of Fame for athletic directors, and we're going to do the induction ceremonies at the closing banquet. And I, I want to know if you would be the master ceremonies for the, uh, for the hall of fame. And I was like, I was caught off guard. I said, well, yeah, I, of course I would. He said, well, he said, when we sat down and started talking about it with the board and others, he said, you know, you, you know, I brought your name up and there was really no other, no, no other thought to have anybody else. We just felt like, you know, we'd, we'd seen you work as an instructor. We've, you know, you've worked on, you know, on committees and done things. And, and we just feel like you, you would really be, be good for what we want to do. And uh, I was honored. I was shocked. I, I just, I was speechless. And, uh, and, you know, you've known me for a long time, you know, I don't, I don't get speechless <laughs> very often, but um, yeah, that was, that was a phone call that I just, I, I literally just sat there and with my mouth open, I'm sure before I could even answer, answer Bruce, but yeah, he was, Bruce is another one that I would consider a mentor along with Frank Kovaleski, you know, back to your first question about mentors, you know, within the NIAAA, then, you know, the mentorship level there just has gone off the charts for me because I met so many, so many great athletic directors and people that cared about athletics. And so, yeah, there, there were a lot of, awesome people to for me to emulate and, and follow in their footsteps and um yeah and, and bruce certainly is one of those and yeah I, I i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing with the NIAAA as far as the uh the hall of fame without without bruce and then a couple of years ago you know i was working with uh, the company that we hired to do all of our uh uh presentations the the, the video all the stuff that we do at our luncheon and the banquet and I started working with those folks um, out in Kansas City because they were the ones that would come to the conference to do all the setup. So I befriended, and Brad Rumble had worked with uh, a lot of them before, so we had a connection there. And um, then just a few years ago, uh, Rick Wagner uh, from Wagner Productions, Rick called me and said, hey, would you be interested in putting down the voice track for some of our other awards, like at the luncheon and stuff? I said, sure, send me a script. So he sent me scripts and I went up to the university and talked to a buddy there and said, Hey, I need, I need some studio time, some booth time. And we recorded the, the uh, intros for all the, one of the sections of the luncheon awards. That one was funny because the very first year I did that, of course, it wasn't live. It was recorded. So I'm sitting at a table with other ADs having lunch. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you might, you know, I start talking. And I'm eating my salad or whatever. They're looking at me. I go, I swallow. And I said, oh, yeah, I, I forgot to tell you guys. I took a course in ventriloquism over the summer. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. 
Why don't I have you share one or two, maybe three, if you can squeeze it in of your favorite memories of those 13 to 14 Hall of Fame and anything that comes to your mind from all, I mean, you've got to introduce all of them. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering if, if, if there's been any special moments for you that way. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to pick just a couple, but I would say like anytime. And, and the, the, the one nice thing about it is of all of the inductees that I've had the, the good fortune to introduce and to bring into the NIAAA hall of fame. Um, I, I've known, I do know um, a significant percentage of those folks, you know, some of the people obviously that retired before, the first couple of years where we bring in people that, that were ADs 30, 40 years ago that I may not have met professionally. Um, but anytime I get to, I get to bring up, you know, for induction, the, the people that I know and work with, I mean, you, you know, you, uh, Bruce Whitehead, I mean, all the, all the ADs, uh, you know, Alan Melanda, uh, you, you know, on a Denny freeze, uh, Bob Hopek, uh, Bobby Rossi from New Jersey. I mean, all, all the ADs that I've, that are, I consider my friends, you know, to be able to be up there and induct them, you know, um, Annette Scoggins, Sherry Stice. I mean, it's just, you know, you're looking at the cream of the crop of the NIAAA and, you know, I joke with people cause I, I MC a, a, a lot of hall of fames. I, I mean, I've, I've done the Kent state varsity K hall of fame for, probably going on 30 years. I, I do. Um, I'm actually the president of the Summit County Sports Hall of Fame here in Ohio and, and was the president of the Portage County Sports Hall of Fame. So I emceed all their banquets. I, you know, I've done like 20 year club stuff at Kent State, um, CYO Hall of Fame in Northeast Ohio. So I have a I think I have a pretty good reputation of being able to make all those events and the people involved with them feel special. And I think that's probably what, for me, um, you know, do I enjoy doing it? Absolutely. But it, it's really, it's really something else when you can go up there and say a few words that make somebody that you know, personally, just glow and feel like, oh my gosh, I'm at the, you know, I'm at the top of my game here. I'm going into the hall of fame. And I always joke with people. They say, oh, you know, are you going to the hall of fame? I said, the only way I'm going into a hall of fame is to MC it or to buy a ticket. So, um, you know, so yeah, but it is, yeah, it's, it's something that I truly, uh, truly enjoy. And I'm always, I'm always humbled and and honored to be, be able to play a part in that special event for, for all those people that are involved. That's great insight. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh yeah. Let me ask you your impressions of last year's conference in Denver after having a year off or the year of virtual in Tampa, and let me then continue to ask you what you're looking forward to in Nashville, because those who are listening to this podcast, there are many that are in Nashville as we speak, as this is the first day of the conference in Nashville. Go ahead. Great. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, getting back to an in-person conference, um, you know, was was very special. Um, I, I struggled. I was one of the first LTI instructors that got asked to do the uh, an LTI online, and it was it was hard for me because the course I teach is about public speaking, and mm-hmm. it's about being in front of people. So to try to do that over a Zoom platform or whatever, what we were using something different then, 
it was just so different. And, and it really, I really had to get outside of the box on that. So um, to teach a, a, at a national conference uh, on a Zoom platform, uh, it was a challenge. Uh, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. But um, yeah, so it was, I mean, I, I remember, you know, getting off the at the airport and getting on a train and riding into town and, and uh, getting to the hotel last year. And it was a beautiful day. The sun was shining. It was probably about almost 60 degrees. You know, I went over to the ballpark. I stopped. It, it was just stopped at the ballpark museum right across the street. And then, you know, every step you take, you're running into somebody that you hadn't seen for o- almost two years. Uh, yeah, that was that was pretty special. That That was to be able to shake hands and hug and welcome everybody back was, was pretty cool. Um, and this year, um, you know, being back in Nashville, Nashville's, I think one of our favorite spots, I, w- I would say, um, you know, they all, it's always decorated up for Christmas and the Opryland hotel and the grand old Opry and all the things you can do in Nashville, in addition to being at the Opryland hotel. I mean, for that five days or whatever, you, you know, everywhere you go, whether it's, on the hotel property, getting ready for a class or teaching a class or taking a class or going to an event, or it's downtown Nashville, you know, having a beer with your friends or, you know, rekindling old French. It's just, it's going to be, it's going to be great. I, I, I think I probably speak for anybody that's been to Nashville as part of our organization. Uh, I think, and, and hello to all of you. And if you're taking time out of your busy day to watch this podcast, uh, there's a lot more fun things that you could be doing than listening to me talk, but I uh, appreciate you. I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, and I know Hutch does too. So yeah, I, mm. I'm looking forward to Nashville um, and, and uh, can't wait to be down there, uh, you know, right, right before Christmas. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a great conference. As an athletic director, what was the favorite part of your job? Working with the student athletes. Um, you know, as an AD, you're, you're, you're the coach of the coaches. So I, I enjoyed that role as well. Um, you know, and, and as a young AD, of course, you know, I had coaches that were veteran coaches, been coaching 10, 15, 20 years, some more. And so they weren't always receptive to some of the things I wanted to do, but I felt it was my job to keep them, you know, up to speed on what was going on in, you know, in the athletic world at the high school level, interscholastic athletics. Um, so I did enjoy that. Um, I, I loved the, you know, I loved game day. I loved the events. I loved setting up for that stuff. Cause I had done that as, as the manager of the conference bureau at Kent state, when we had clients in and doing conferences and conventions and banquets and trade shows and all that. So, you know, my superintendent that hired me, uh, Phil Warner, he told me, he said, I'm going to tell you, be perfectly honest with you. He said, I hired you as much, if not more for your experience in doing special events and alumni relations than I did for your background in athletics, which I thought was interesting because we had just built a new stadium the year before it was the first stadium in Northeast Ohio to have turf and uh, field turf. And so we were, he wanted me to be hosting games. So we hosted my three years there. We hosted six state football playoff games, including a semifinal, which was unheard of having that on a high school campus. We hosted district and regional track. We hosted league events. And I, you know, that preparation for all that with officials and coaches and opposing teams and fans and booster club, I, you know, I loved all that interaction, but the best part of my day was anytime one of my student athletes would 
would come into the office, um, you know, to ask a question or just to come in and shoot the breeze a little bit uh, and then to watch them compete. You know, that that's, I think, the coach in me because I still love watching my kids, my softball team compete. Um, but as an AD, you get to do that with every sport. And I think that's that's pretty cool. And then, you know, go beyond that. I was at a breakfast meeting with some high school friends of mine the other morning and, and a girl hollers at me and here she's a kid that we're friends on Facebook, but she was one of my student athletes at Ravenna, my first job. And, you know, we sat there and talked for probably 20 minutes and she was reminiscing about, she was a soccer player and, and she said, Oh yeah, I still remember coming into your office and, you know, you were always so welcoming. And so, yeah, that, that relationship with the student athletes and then, you know, once they get out of school, if they go into college or whatever, and then 10, 15 years later, they're coming back and having fond memories and, uh, you know, of their high school career. That's, that, that's the most special part. Thanks for sharing. Let's finish with a couple of questions. The first one being Jeff, you have two suggestions for a brand new AD and they need to follow these suggestions in order to be successful. What would your two suggestions be? Um, well, number one, you know, reach out, reach out to your colleagues. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, I, I think, you know, the AD world has changed so much um, since I started uh, in, in 2000. Um, you know, the dependence on cell phones and, you know, I see ADs that have two and three computer screens and, you know, we, we were my generation of athletic directors and the one before, before us, I, you know, we were, we were the people that were on the phone and, and in person to, you know, face-to-face -face meetings. Um, and that's kind of, that's changed. So um, obviously embrace the technology, but I think, you know, number one, don't be afraid to reach out to people that have gone before you that can probably help with some things that you don't even really know are, are on the horizon yet. Um, and yeah, in, enjoy the ride. I mean, just, you know, stay in communication with your, you know, your principal, your superintendent, whoever, um, you know, your booster club, you know, the people in your town. Um, if you're not from there, uh, you know, reach out to them and find out what, you know, what's important to them about educationally based interscholastic athletics. Um, you know, and talk to the kids, you know, let the, let the kids in. I, I just, I said, my office door was always open and I, I wouldn't have done it any other way. Very good. What questions should I have asked you that I failed to ask you? Um, am I available to do the voiceover for your second book? Okay. It's that, interesting that, that you asked. That would have a, been a question. A, are you available for that? And B, I'm a hundred pages in to the second book. So I, I will, I will make myself available and, but it might require, uh, it might require a, a trip to Utah. Well, there you go. And I'm just saying, if you happen to sell, if you can get two or 3000 of, of my first book plateau sold in, uh, in Ohio, then we can get the voice over for the, uh, for the first book as well. Oh, I didn't realize there was a sales component to this negotiation, <laughs> yeah, but no. certainly, uh, certainly. <laughs> I don't even know if I had you autograph my copy, so I, I may have to do that. You I better to, bring. You better. I have bring to dig it out and bring it to Nashville. There, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, that, we'll do what we can. Consider this uh, 
For those of you athletic directors who are with us here in Nashville now when you're viewing this, um, if you haven't purchased uh, Mark's first book, um, it is scintillating. It'll keep you on the edge of your seat. Um, you, you know, you, you do not have to be uh, a Mormon or have lived in Utah to appreciate it. Uh, but I urge you to go out and purchase a copy today. Uh, if you haven't, get it online. They can ship it right to the Grand Ole Opry Hotel, Opryland Hotel, and you can have Hutch autograph it during the conference. How's well, that you. for a shameless yeah. plug? That's, that's a great plug. <laughs> Unexpected, but thank you so much on that note. That Wait, I, there, is a, there is oh, another yes, question ahead. that you did not ask me, and it has nothing to do, it has to do with sports. Okay. But, and I know you saw it when you were here about my Guinness World Record attempt. I would have thought you would have thrown that in there. Oh, well, see, I totally forgot that. So we have time. Why don't you share with your our audience? Because I remember I laughed when you told me about you your did. world record attempt. Well, and you saw the glove and the ball that were used to set it. Yeah, right. when I was in high school, I got, I read all kinds of sports books, but I had a, a copy of Guinness, the Guinness Book of World Records. And I was leafing through it and I saw, oh, world's highest baseball catch. So I'm reading about it. Oh, this guy caught a ball from an airship at approximately a thousand feet. And I'm like, I could do that. So I had two buddies in high school that had their pilot's license. So I enlist the help of the one guy, give him a bag of baseballs. We go to the high school baseball field. He goes to the airport, flies over. He's flinging baseballs out of the plane all over the place. Nowhere near me. We, we weren't very scientific about it. Okay. First of all, and you know, my parents are there, a couple friends, they're laughing. I mean, baseball's flying all over. I'm, I'm running all over the infield trying to catch balls. So he empties the bag, lands the plane, comes back. We were only about 15 minutes from the airport. Comes back to high school. He goes, well, how'd we do? I go, you, you weren't even close. I go, you got to fly the same pattern all the time. You can't be waggling the wings. And he was having fun with it. I said, so here, let's go back and do it again. I gave him the bag of balls and I don't know, 25 or 30 bucks to put more gas in the plane. So he went back, took off, came back again. I caught two. And, but he wasn't very high. I don't know how high, but we, we estimated probably five, 600 feet, maybe. Um, so fast forward, I was at Kent state playing baseball, uh, summer after my junior year, I'm thinking, you know what, uh, we need to, we need to do this again and really make sure we go for the record. So my other friend, George, George in high school, he had his license. So we did all the calculations, got out the maps. He checked the, you know, and so we did it again at a, friend's house uh, right down the street from where my parents lived at, had a 165 acre farm and they had just mowed a hay field. So it was nice and short. So went out there on a, I think it was a Saturday morning and uh, he was buddy two, I had three buddies in the plane, the pilot, the guy dropping the balls. And uh, another friend of mine was on the walkie talkie with my father who was on the ground next to me. And uh, they kept flying the same pattern, a loop pattern. And uh, eventually I caught, I caught two baseballs and was pretty excited that I was going to be in the Guinness book of world records for the world's highest baseball catch at 1100 feet. And, uh, weeks, probably months later, uh, Guinness responded and said they were no longer accepting claims for that record. So <laughs> all I have are the fond memories and people like you that got, have actually come to see the, the baseball room and got to see the, uh, the first baseman's glove and the, uh, the newspaper article and the two balls that I caught out of the airplane. Other than that, it only exists in my memory. Well, that's awesome. On that note, that will wrap it up for this 101st edition of the UI AAA Connection. Again, our guest today has been Jeff Kurtz. For those who are in Nashville, you'll be hearing him 
at the Hall of Fame induction just a few days from now. Thanks for being on the podcast, Jeff. Thanks, Hutch. For our listeners in Nashville and across the nation, we hope you tune in again next week for another edition of the UIAAA Connection.